0: Hello and welcome to the Evolve podcast, hosted by me, Simon Bocco, where I interview successful people who talk openly and honestly about the journey they've been on to become the person they are today, sharing stories, insights, tips and anecdotes along the way. It's a great opportunity to learn from entrepreneurs, business leaders, creatives and technologists who've all taken very different paths to success. So welcome to another episode of the Evolve podcast. I'm joined by Matthew Chris today, which is really exciting. Matt, I've known for about three years now, Matt, maybe a bit longer. It
1: must be coming up to three years, Simon. Great to be here. Thank you ever so much.
0: Yeah. So Matt is a serial entrepreneur, which I think sounds quite nice. And one of those people who you started your first business at 16, is that right?
1: I might have even been slightly younger than that, Simon. So the, the first business I had was a bus company that I started with my aunt. I was at school at the time. I built a, a, a publisher, a Microsoft publisher website for the company she was working for, who had gone bust, They'd gone into liquidation. And she rang me up the day that they did and said, look, I'm going to have a go at this on my own. You give me a hand. We had absolutely no idea what we were doing. We had mountains with some superimposed buses on. We really had no idea what we were doing at all. I was a kid. She was a receptionist at a bus company, but somehow by hook or crook, we managed to grow that to a two and a half million pound business in 18 months.
0: And Am I right in saying that you've never had a job? Ever, Simon. I think- Ever. I- so you, you haven't even worked in a shop or restaurant or anything when you were like 15 or anything? Nothing? Not that I haven't had some
1: share involvement in, no.
0: Which I I think is really rare. So I think it's kind of interesting to kind of start there. Really, I think I personally don't know anyone who's who's never had a job of any description and start that their first job was their own business. So talk to me about that. How come you decided to go down that route? And and, and the kind of concept of a job or, or getting a job just didn't appeal. Well, I think it's a matter of luck more than anything, and situation. I had
1: always wanted to run a business. I I always had somewhere in the back of my head after the doctor killed my dreams of being a fireman telling me that asthmatics couldn't be firemen, that I wanted to to run a business. And it it really was circumstance that, that dropped me where I was dropped. I had a fantastic time learning on the job, doing absolutely everything from taking sales calls to building systems, websites, marketing it really was the the circumstance I was dealt with, but I, I genuinely think I am completely unemployable.
0: <laughs> no, I think quite probably you and me both, to be honest, I think you kind of get to that point, don't you, on that journey of when you've got your own business where I kind of always see myself as kind of certified unemployable because of the journey I've kind of been on. So I guess talk to me about kind of your business interests now, so obviously we know each other from Crisp Digital, which is a kind of full service digital business, but you've obviously currently in the number of businesses that you are a founder of or co-founder of and have kind of launched and and, and kind of, I guess, pop-up businesses for want of a better term. So talk to you about a few of those.
1: So again, circumstance, natural progression. When I realized that sitting at the end of a telephone answering bus inquiries wasn't for me, I kind of took a step back and looked at what I'd enjoyed throughout the journey. And what I had enjoyed the most was the technology and the marketing side of things. And that led to the birth of Crisp Digital, initially leveraging my contacts I'd made in the bus industry. We had 125 suppliers. I thought that was a good place to start. And I started what at the time was called Crisp Web Design, building websites. And that was 10 years ago now when web was far more about technology than marketing. It was about building solid technology platforms uh, that served a purpose rather than Where it is now, which is far more about marketing, messaging, brand, et cetera, et cetera. So that was my my journey into what is now Crisp Digital here on Marlow High Street. 20 odd members of staff serving 270 plus businesses, executing digital and marketing needs for them. But along that journey, got involved with a lot of startups. I thoroughly enjoy taking something from nothing to a business that is generating revenue that's kind of where my my passion lays sadly the corporates pay the bills not the startups but result of that there were often equity or share opportunities to get involved with different businesses different projects one of my kind of uh, favorite recent projects was uh, working with Jack Blumenthal who uh, a Sunday Rose project over lockdown that was really exciting. Used a lot of my my skills to to build sites, generate revenue using Facebook ads and web email, etc. I'm currently working with a, a fantastic startup Nero with my my partner Reno. Very creative name Nero. You can uh, see how we got there, but that business is a fit out corporate event. Project-based business, working with some great brands.
0: is there never been an like an element of fear? So, like, you're 16, you're starting your own business. Did you not think there's a, there's a kind of element of kind of panic or fear that you're you're not guaranteed income from from a young age, or is it a case of because you're such a low cost base when, when you're young, you know, you don't need much? That kind of took that part away.
1: I guess, and this is a really interesting conversation I've had with with quite a few close people to me. I guess. It's all about your ability to take risk to a great upbringing and my mother's success. I've always had the ability to take as much as I wanted. At the end of the day, there was always going to be a roof over my head. And that enabled me to take that risk. I completely understand others aren't as fortunate. And therefore, the the level of risk to them is far higher. But to me, it kind of never made a difference. If you didn't make any money one month, my cost base was low. I was living at home. I guess that's what gave me the ability to do what I've done.
0: And yeah, you mentioned your mum, obviously. I, I've met your uh, lovely mother and she's, she's a very successful uh, person. Was she, like you said, she was an influence when you were younger. So, so talk to me kind of more about that in terms of, because I think it's interesting for me, like I wanted to be like my dad. But I didn't know what my dad did. I just knew that he had a car that the company gave him, uh, which was nice. And he wore a suit and that looked like a good thing to do. And that was kind of as as far as it went. But it sounds like um, in terms of with your mother, she's almost kind of a confidant mm-hmm. and a coach as well at the same time.
1: Definitely a confidant, definitely a coach. My risk-taking level definitely outweighed hers uh, quite a few years ago. I, sp- I never wanted to be like my mother in terms of she, she's an accountant or was an accountant, she likes law now, but... I guess that hard work ethic was instilled on me from a very, very young age. I remember sitting outside the Siemens Bracknell building at 10 pm at night while she popped in to deal with an emergency. And I think that hard working ethic is a really important fact. I know you were working at 2 a.m. last night, Simon. I was receiving emails from you. You, you know the meaning of hard work. And I think that's a, a really important factor in anything you do, not just if you own a business, but it it shows your commitment to what you're doing. I'm not saying that everybody should work 24 hours a day, hard work all the time is the only way, but it's definitely a big factor.
0: Yeah, and I think one of the things that annoys me, and I probably would annoy you as well, they have, you know, lots of things on social media, or, or, or lots of uh, entrepreneurs will say the secret to success is around working 100 hour weeks and sleeping in the office. And we're not saying that because I think that actually has a, an adverse effect on your productivity and and your performance i think it's the hard work in in the right areas and recognizing when you've got a pitch you've got an important piece of work there are going to be some times where yeah you're going to have to put a shift in till till 2am and i think probably the difference between having your own business and when you work for somebody else no one else is going to do that potentially you you know it falls on you and uh, you need to get that enjoyment otherwise the the kind of grind at 2am it's not going to be too fun I
1: think that's a really interesting point, Simon. Ultimately, I think the world has changed, especially post-COVID, post-lockdown, people's priorities have realigned. I think, you know, from from the people I know, the people I've spoken to over the years, the world used to be far more focused on hard work. I remember one of my early clients, who's who's still a great client, um, I remember Sue saying to me that, the agency she worked for was so successful because they had their pound of flesh out of every member of staff. I definitely think that's far harder in this day and age. I don't think people do work as hard. I I think you're right. Nobody is ever going to love your business as much as you love your business. But it would be unfair to say that there aren't hardworking people out there. I've definitely got a great team of people who know when to work hard and Appreciate that some deadlines can't be missed and we'll all work till before in the morning to to get the job done.
0: Yeah, and one of the things, actually, kind of touching one of the points you made there is, um, and we were speaking about the other day, in fact, is a lot of your staff, you've have kind of started their career with Chris Digital and perhaps didn't even have a, a degree that was relevant to the particular subject matter. So they might have studied psychology, but they're doing social media, for example but they've kind of risen up through the ranks. And and, and we were talking about how many of your staff have gone on to be kind of been promoted quite aggressively, both within Crisp and and later on when they've moved to to other businesses for for various reasons. So I think it'd be interesting to, again, talk about that because it's almost part of the model, isn't it? There is a, a kind of Crisp way of doing things and kind of embedding that, I guess, quality of service and speed of delivery and all of those things in kind of bright young talent. So it'd be interesting to get your thoughts around that as well.
1: Well, I definitely think agency has changed and I was never in old agency. I've got some great mentors around me who were proper agency veterans and agency was slow, clunky, not agile. And my experience of, ploy- of employing agency veterans, um, not every single one, and I think you probably know who I'm talking about there, Simon, but lots of the others have been very tied to the old traditional agency way of working, which in my opinion, doesn't really work at all anymore. So I certainly feel that bringing fresh members of staff in who maybe aren't tainted by the old agency way of working has been the best way for us to employ great talent to instill the way we work and the agile methodologies of development, uh, the new ways of working in web, it's definitely been the best way for us to, to get great talent. One of my massive drivers is developing people or my, my major driver is developing people. And I certainly had a lot of personal fulfillment watching people come out of university into Crisp and then maybe leave Crisp a couple of years later and go off to do great things. Although it's a shame to see them go and a shame to lose that knowledge from the business, the pride I get out of watching them go on to, to bigger, greater, better things is really quite phenomenal
0: yeah and i think the important thing on that from from my experience you know nobody's left chris because they've hated it or they've been burnt out or you know like you say this kind of old agency model it's very much someone's moved to a different part of the country or they decided they want to go a different way in their career for example and they've used the the kind of knowledge as as a kind of foundation in which to do that or they're looking for a job within an agency that perhaps chris doesn't doesn't have or doesn't deliver in terms of that specialism so you know, I think that's that's kind of really important. And we talk about a lot around culture. And I think that's something that, that you're almost very conscious of in terms of you've got that finger on the pulse of the culture. And if the culture starts to change or shift and you start to see perhaps negative behaviors creeping in, you've almost got like a radar for that. So I don't know where that kind of came from. If, again, if you could talk about that in some, some more detail and your thoughts around like culture and, and your views on that. Oh, completely. I think
1: 18 to 25 year olds now don't stay in a job for a very long time. I think lots of people come out of university and kind of have to do the company, company, company switch to move up the ladder. So for me to see anybody come out of university, come into their first job and do two years plus in one place must mean that we're doing a great job of the culture. I had the joy of working with a lady called Lisa Cato, who uh, did a lot of cultural work with me and with the business. And I found that a really important part to the success of employee retention. I'm very much about going out for lunch together as a team, grabbing a drink on a Friday after work as a team. And that's the one thing that I do worry about with the shift to virtual working, um, how to keep culture, Alive, certainly a lot of the a lot of the friends of mine and people I speak to in larger business believe that COVID has killed the culture of their businesses and wonder if that will come back. It will be really interesting to look at um, the statistics, employee statistics, retention stati- statistics of the larger um, FTSE 100 companies over the next few years and and kind of to understand the damage that COVID has done to retention culture I'm certainly very interested to see what's going to happen in that space
0: definitely and I think you've mentioned and it's a reoccurring theme both in kind of anecdotal conversations I've had with other business owners but also through this podcast around the importance of mentoring and having that kind of support network around you and it sounds like I guess you've had certain people on that journey so and also something that you enjoy doing yourself so Again, it'd be really interesting to get your some kind of stories or some steer around how uh, mentoring perhaps unblocked certain challenges or or helped you be successful in your in your kind of business ventures today. I think you can
1: only listen and aspire to other people's stories, and I don't think it's about um, necessarily their success. I think it's about the journey they've been on listening and learning from other people's journeys, I think is crucial to the success, especially when you're a young entrepreneur or you were a young entrepreneur like I was. Listening, understanding, asking questions, seeking advice is the only way you're going to get through your challenges and your problems. I think I've had maybe 10 key mentors over the 11 years that I've had, Crisp that have helped me through all sorts of scenarios financial sales marketing operations um, and personal as well you know don't forget that he's got a personal life and that balance of personal life to business really does influence and affect the success of the professional or business life good mentors is is really important it's for anybody not just anybody who runs a business but anybody who's got a a professional career and a life—you've got to have those people around you that you feel you can lean on.
0: And uh, one of the interesting questions I like to ask is around over the years, kind of key highlights, and but also I think it's important to talk about when things get tough, you know, and, and what that feels like, and, and kind of what you do to, to kind of get over those problems and those challenges, and, and kind of learn from them. So it'd be good to understand from from all of your business kind of portfolio whether what your kind of key highlights are and whether there have been any kind of difficult times where you've had to overcome some challenges? I think
1: there, there are always difficult times. I can certainly remember a few. I think our, our success and our ways to get through these difficult times are to make fast decisions, to act quickly, not to let problems fester. If you let problems fester and you don't make decisions, then that's where I see things spiralling out of control very, very quickly. To solve problems, it has been, I would say, a lot of the, a lot of my success. Working very quickly to solve problems that arise. Some of my my key highlights: I partnered up with a, a business to give them a, a hand with their operations. Um, they were doing some work for us at the time, and I, I had the joy of working in South Korea, in Israel, with them on a really exciting project um, that I, I'm under NDA on, so I won't talk about here, but. That was a, a really interesting time in my business life i've uh, i've got a team in Kathmandu in Nepal as well and i 've had the the joy and luxury of traveling to Kathmandu maybe fifteen times over the last eleven years and and working with the team out there, building an office in Nepal and a team in nepal that's that's been a real highlight of my last eleven years too and then working with some of the clients that we've worked with um We've got some some great brands that we've done some work with. We've got some great startups that we've done some work with. I've probably got fifty plus stories of of working with fantastic clients that have been real highlights in my working career.
0: Yeah, I think that's actually a point I've I've probably never asked you actually around the Nepal office. So I think a lot of business have uh, outsourced departments and so on, and and we're very clear that, that that's not the case. You know, this is a crisp Nepal, and that is your development house out in in the pool that which you set up to me just just think about this now it's, it's crazy in three years I never asked you it feels really difficult you know to, to kind of do that and and it's, it's not a small team either and you've recruited all of those people sometimes remotely and, and sometimes kind of obviously you've got management over there who are recruiting people and and really starting to build some credentials when it comes to development out in the pool so of how did you go about doing that and what, and what was the Kind of how easy or difficult was it, and how did you kind of get that off the ground?
1: I've been asked that question lots of times, and it's quite an unbelievable answer It's all started back in the early days when I had far too many website projects on my plate. I was working till two o'clock in the morning trying to deliver them all and I received a, a cold call from a a chap who offered to build a website for free to prove his skill and he was based in Kathmandu, and a couple of these guys had jobs in call centers and then they were moonlighting their own call centers trying to generate business from uh, the EU uh, and America, from English speaking countries. And that, that was kind of where it all started and kicked off. I was, I was working with these guys Then they had the earthquake. I'm sure, sure you all remember the horrendous Nepalese earthquakes that happened some years ago now. And I packed my bags and decided to, to fly out there and give them some support. I emailed out to my customers, you know, explaining that we had this fantastic team who were through a bit of a disaster. And there were some horrendous stories, corruption, money given to politicians. A lot of the international support that had given to Nepal actually wasn't, they weren't able to receive it properly. I remember landing at Kathmandu Airport, seeing several American Chinooks all parked at the airport. As soon as I got out, I, I said to my guys, why are they not flying these around, helping out, sorting things? sorting things out for you guys. And the answer was, well, if they fly those over Kathmandu, they're gonna knock buildings down because everything is so badly built. So that was that was where my traveling to Nepal started. I, th- I think I was actually there for a couple of the tremors um, that happened after the main earthquake. Although I must admit, I slept through most of those. But yeah, it was a really interesting time, but I think being there, building those relationships and so- solidarities at a time of need been a a lot of the long-term success, the the Nepal team and those relationships, flying backwards and forwards to help them choose the right offices, putting the offices next to the airport so I could walk from the airport to the offices when I arrived. I mean, what can I say? It's been a, a fantastic journey working with the guys out there. It was very close to my heart. I've taken up yoga as a result. I've taken the guys to the top of the mountains and and done yoga with them in hotels and hard yoga instructors and again you know that comes back to what we were talking about earlier creating a a culture of love care is really important to me and I think has been a major part of Crisp's success with our offshore relationship you just can't get that same level of relationship with an outsourced team or an outsourced department I feel And I'm not a control freak at all. I'm not a micromanager. I kind of like to manage things in quite a step back way, but certainly with outsourced development houses, you know, found in the past, if they pulled in a project that was bigger and more important to them than yours, you always fell by the wayside, having that team that is under our project management control enables us to prioritize what we need to prioritize and put the needs of our customers first.
0: Yeah, and I think it's that that kind of dedicated team which is really important. And I think going back to what we originally said before around that kind of service and delivery and agile, it's really difficult to do that. I think if you've got a proper outsourced service type relationship as opposed to a kind of wholly owned entity, which is a an extension of culture and kind of operations, I think it makes it a lot easier and that process a lot more seamless. I mean, we we have a... Three times a week Zoom call with our entire UK
1: team and pool team, that kind of kicked off during lockdown. But I felt it really added to the culture and connection of the people on the team.
0: And then I think moving on to a different subject, and this is this based on my kind of knowledge of, of you and us kind of working together. I think the other big thing, and, and it's it's certainly worth discussing today, is around the importance of networking. I think when it comes to Marlow and Buckinghamshire, I probably think if there's someone worth knowing, you're going to know them. So if I ever visit Matt uh, and go to Matt's office, we can't really go anywhere down the high streets. We'll bump into 17 people he knows. And then we'll end up in the pub and we'll bump into another lots of people. And before we know it, we've had a good time. And, you know, these people I think are not only friends, but there are lots of very senior people in, in business and lots of people you've done business with. So obviously it, it, it's something I think you're, you're you're naturally a social person, but obviously I think network and, and that kind of network around you is, is something that's really important and almost feels like a job in itself. You know, you kind of dedicate a lot of time to that. So the interesting kind of, obviously it's, it's, it's who you know, not what you know, as, as, as we know. But talk to me about that in terms of the importance of that network and those people around you.
1: Networking has been really important to me. It was, so I, I met a chap through a, uh, through a client actually. So we were working for two dentists. The dentist decided to get divorced and and split their practice up and he was the crap it guy i was the crap web guy excuse my french but that was how we were referred to by by the partner and of course we had to get together to manage this breakup and we realized actually we were both quite good and we got on quite well so a couple of conversations later giles to to go and join him at a, a local business networking event and i was young at the time very young 18 19 um, so off i went to, to stand in front of a room of 30 small business people and that was my kind of entry to networking it was a bni network which i know has have a lot of negative connotations around and i certainly don't enjoy being in that structured rigged networking space anymore but i think if you're starting a business it's a really good place to Go and get some some support to be around other people who are running small businesses. I do think you outgrow those kind of networking events. But having said that, you know we really did build Crisp of um, that regular contacts with with other people, those recommendations and referrals. And I think, especially for agency, you, you really are only as good as your last job. So, doing great work and then getting recommendations from that piece of work are really, really important and that kind of expands. And over the 11 years I've been doing business recommendations, referrals come out of, you know, friends that you knew years ago who, who know you're in a space and maybe they're in a business that, that needs help from that space and they pick up the telephone and, and ask you to come and give them a hand. But not just from, from a business perspective, I've certainly got a, a great, going to put put this in inverted commas networking group in Marlow of fantastic people who aren't all in their own businesses most of them have done very very well but they've been you know great advisors supporters mentors for me and as you say I am a very social person Simon and people to lean on people to ask advice from and people that recommend you really really important I think to any business owner
0: yeah definitely and and I think just from our kind of interactions of working together and something I try to do myself is if a client comes to you and they've got a particular challenge, when you can go, I know someone who can have you with that, or I can put this and this together to solve that problem for you. I think that that's where there's a lot of value and going back to our earlier conversation around the traditional agency model, they're not doing that. You know, they're looking at how much revenue I can make in March, how much revenue I can make in April. They're not thinking about building networks and putting things together to, to drive that that kind of more long term, almost kind of creating businesses or, or, or creating new solutions, which naturally unlock work for you and becoming central to that.
1: I think working with other people is quite enjoyable. And I know that's not the same for, for every person. Lots of people operate in silos, but the more you talk to other people, the more opportunities arise. And, you know, some of the most successful people I know will turn around and tell you it was luck. I think you create your own luck. And a great way to create that luck is to be out there networking, having great conversations, coming up with great new ideas. As I said earlier, I'm really passionate about startups and startups quite often come from discussion over a beer. That's, the beauty of the startup world it's the beauty of entrepreneurship with an idea and turning it into something that generates revenue that employs people that is interesting exciting solves a solves a great problem i'm really passionate about that and the only way you're you're going to do that is by working and talking to other people
0: yeah i always say you're not going to win the lottery unless you buy a ticket so you you try and buy as many tickets as possible and hopefully one will come off Think that's an important lesson for people and not to say I know there's lots of businesses when they start they take every single meeting and there's a there's a lot of uh, time waste in meetings I think as you as you get kind of go through that journey as a, as a kind of business owner you start to get a bit more of a nose for these and, and start to have those kind of high value and high percentage conversations rather than people who like a nice chat
1: you won't meet your princess until you kiss a few frogs hey Simon
0: <laughs> I don't know I don't, I don't really know what that means I think we'll probably move on from that one <laughs> So in terms of, I think that probably brings us nicely onto, and I think probably a good point to end in is around the future. And, and, and I think COVID is obviously changed a lot and it's it, I'm kind of bored of talking about it if I'm honest, but it's kind of unavoidable. Where do you think the kind of future of, you know, you, you your, your kind of biggest business at the moment is around in the digital space and in the events space, and where do you think the, it's going to be the, the sort of winners and losers of the future and, and what does that kind of look like for you? Aren't we all
1: bored, about talk, bored of talking about COVID, hey? Um, wow, this has dragged on. I think it's really difficult at the moment to predict the future when so many things are, are kind of pending on COVID. I was having a great conversation with a, a marketing consultant last night and we were, we were talking about this in quite some length. Businesses go back to offices, will the big boys ask? Ask their staff to come back in five days a week, and it, it's just also unknown at the moment. I think the the switch to working at home, flexi working, will be a really important one for the future. I think lots of people have realised, wow, I I can gain X amount of time in my day from working at home. I can be more productive, spend more time with the family, do more of what they love doing. And I think it's going to be important for employers to keep that up in some way, shape, and form, whether it's in the form of a day, two days, three days, a week working from home, I think staff satisfaction would be even more important, especially now people have proven they can work from home during that time. Ultimately, you know, I'm a I'm a great believer in technology. Technology is absolutely the future. I back Mr. Musk and, and Tesla. I think it's important to look at what initiatives governments are putting out. You know, I think the UK government is still talking about Electric car totality by 2030. So that's obviously the way things are going to be going. For me, I'm very focused on creating a SaaS platform. I don't share too much information about that at the moment, but SaaS is definitely the business of the future. A recurring bedrock income and revenue, incredibly important, especially uh, as you saw so many businesses lose so much revenue when shut down back in March last year that's where I'm hedging my bets in the SaaS software world.
0: Yeah, and I think um, kind of talking about that flexibility, I think flexibility in the future is going to be key in both retention and attraction of talent. Again, it, I speak from, from our own industry and in terms of agency, us creative types don't like being chained to a desk five days a week. So that kind of flexibility and that fluidity to move in and out of an office space and at home you know, where appropriate, I think will be a win. And like you said, also in terms of that client engagement, if business is moving quickly and is changing rapidly and there's a lot of unknowns, you're going to need suppliers that can move with that environment and with those times. I think if you've got a rigid process, you've got a rigid way of operating, and it's the my way or the highway approach, you know, you're going to be a brick wall for a lot of clients. And I think that kind of sense of agility and understanding that what happens today might be different tomorrow and we need to adjust to that i think it's going to be really important and you know from from talking about my own business and about chris that's something that we've we've kind of baked in from from day one you know and i think it's it's only going to become more and more needed and almost like if you're doing a pitch deck it's going to be slide 2 these days absolutely slide 2 flexibility
1: my one constraint concern is around workshopping i know you do a lot of workshopping simon um, we've done a lot of workshops together. I don't feel that you can pull off the same effect with a, a you know ten key stakeholder engagement workshop in whatever you are engaging in. It's just not quite the same on video call on Zoom. The walkie-talkie. I'm speaking now. You're speaking now. You're speaking. Just doesn't give you the same um, fluidity as as being in a room. That's the the kind of one thing I hope we we do keep. But maybe that blends and fits into the flexibility model really well. You know, uh, we're all o- all over the country. Let's meet at this central location in a, a hired boardroom and do our workshop there. It will be really interesting to see what happens with business travel over the next few years and how much of that returns, how much of it doesn't. Obviously, with with my events business, I'm interested to see what what's going to happen there with the exhibition and event space. Lots and lots of businesses have done fantastic jobs of taking training events exhibitions online but i personally feel you know there's there's nothing better than a face-to-face you can't quite get the same effect same effect a zoom call a a team score on a digital platform as you can with a face-to-face meeting so it will be really interesting to see how that evolves over the next four years
0: yeah and i think the difficult one is that intangible which is energy you know you kind of especially a workshop, you want that energy in the room and kind of bounce off each other. So I did something recently where we were talking about uh, kind of merging and bringing together three businesses and all, all the business heads were there. You know, Facilitating that online, yes, it can be done, but it's never going to work. It's going to take much longer. And rather than leave the room enthused and excited about where this new business could head, it almost strangely feels functional. Like I've, I've, I've done the job, I've done what I needed to do, that's a tick in a box and we'll move on. So I think getting engagement, bouncing off each other energy, seeing how excited someone is about where we can take their business, I think you're just unfortunately never going to do that on a screen unless technology really moves on that we can all sit in a virtual room.
1: agree more. I think that is completely lost over Zoom. And it's, it would be a real shame if we don't go back to, to big meetings together.
0: And that wraps up another episode of the Evolve podcast. I hope you've taken inspiration and learned something from this week's interview and I'd love to see you here next week so please do subscribe if you're interested in finding out more about what we're doing at Evolve be sure to check us out by visiting goevolve.co.uk and finally remember in business and in life you never stop evolving see you next week